Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Healthy For My Purpose. Um, We have an amazing episode for you today. It's actually part two from last week. But before I tell you about that, just wanted to remind you guys that if you're not a part of our Facebook group on Facebook called Daniel Fassett Bridge to Healthy Living, I want to invite you to join that group. In that group, we're doing so many fun things from challenges to um, a prayer for your health where we bring you to the prayer seat and we pray for your health goals to cook and chat where we have sometimes we have a guest and Gigi and I just whip up a delicious recipe live on within the group, um, and so much more things to actually motivate you um, and keep healthy in front, right? Um, So this group is engaging, it's fun. And so I want to invite you to be a part of this group. If you're already a part of this group, I invite you to invite a friend. Um, We are almost at the 10,000 mark, and we want to continue to grow this community so that we can continue to help women and men to level up with their health for the glory of God. Also, guys, today, um, when you listen to this episode, you will only have a couple more days left to sign up for the meal prep cooking class. If you didn't listen to the bonus episode that we had this week on the power of meal prep, you want to go back and do that. But you don't want to miss out. This is a great opportunity to dive in as a community, cook some meals that's going to last you for that week and beyond, and kind of start building that muscle of really being intentional about your meal prep. So if you um, go to our IG page, Daniel Fassett Bridge to Healthy Living, and you click the link in the bio, you can get to the um, meal prep course or class at from there. Um, if you're already in the Facebook group, there's tons of ways that you can also click on that to get to the meal prep um, class. And I will also put a link to this in the show notes as well. But today I am so excited because we are talking about part two on raising kids on a plant-based diet. We actually are talking to the partner that co-authored Nourish, Dr. Reshma Shah. And what I love about part two of this episode is part one, we kind of got into the nitty gritty of what a child needs to eat, their development and things like that. In this episode, we get more into the nuances. What about if you have a picky child? How do you raise a plant-based child if two parents aren't plant-based. It's what about the ethical issues? How do you talk to your children about not eating animals? And so there's just a lot around the nuances to raising a plant-based child. And so you're going to love this episode. So without further ado, let's jump in. Do you believe that God wants you healthy? Then join me, Cersei Blue and Gigi Carter on the Healthy For My Purpose podcast where we help you realize the relationship between your health and your purpose. We share how eating like Daniel can revolutionize your life. Through discussions and interviews, we challenge you to discover the powerful connection between plant-based nutrition, your body, and your faith. It's time. 
Dr. Shaw, welcome. I am so, so glad you're here uh, with me today. This book, Nourish, is a wealth of information. Um, I'm curious, what inspired you to partner with um, Brenda Davis to write this book? I didn't need any inspiration at all. Brenda is just such a powerhouse. If, you know, given the opportunity to work with her, you can bet that I grabbed it. Um, we, I don't know if Brenda told you the story when you spoke to her, but we essentially met um, on an airplane traveling to a conference. And uh, as luck would have it, I was sitting right next to her. And um, I just was giddy with excitement. And we ended up chatting the entire flight down. And it was really clear that we had a connection, a friendship. Um, and we, I just sort of, you know, we kept in touch and I didn't know what was going to happen with Brenda, but I knew that I wanted to get to know her better because she's just, not only is she so bright and talented, but she really is such a compassionate, warm person. And you just feel like the minute you meet her, you feel like um, this is a person I want to know. And we met again the following year at the same conference and, um, you know, more conversations. And I remember at the very end of the conference asking her for some professional advice. I, you know, I've been a practicing pediatrician for a long time and um, the, the plant-based journey, you know, vegan journey has been um, relatively new for me compared to Brenda's um, experience with it. And I thought that I might be interested in doing something, but I didn't exactly know what it would be. And I was asking for her advice because she's, this is Brenda's 12th book. And she said, well, we could do it together. Well, there's, yes, sign me up. And so that's kind of how it started. And I, you know, Brenda's written a lot of books, but I, as a pediatrician, I had some very specific ideas in terms of what I wanted to talk about, because a lot of it was the questions that I had and the questions that I would hear from parents. And, you know, when I would give talks from here, hear from audience members. Um, and so we wanted it to be really a comprehensive guide that was very evidence-based, but also practical and felt very supportive so that no matter where you were on the journey, you could find um, some support. Well, I think you achieved that objective for sure with this book. Um, I love it. I mean, and we'll get into this a little bit later, but I love the balance of the science, the practical tips. And I was really touched by the um, incorporation of the kind of the ethical part of the conversation um, which I, I don't want to, I don't want to get into this now because I have a, a kind of a question for you later on that. But um, I, I, I just think it's an excellent, excellent book um, for, I mean, obviously for parents or aspiring parents, but also, you know, just for, for anybody that interacts with or has any kind of interface with, with young people or kids. Um, so even schools and school administrators, I think could really benefit from this book. So um, tell me a little bit more about your personal journey. Like how did you adopt a, a plant-based diet? Yeah, so my story is actually, um, it's kind of atypical, I think in the plant-based community. I think a lot of people will tell stories about how they you know, grew up on a meat and potatoes diet or some people even say, I lived on a dairy farm and you know, it was a big jolt to be moving in this direction. For me, it was actually kind of the opposite. I grew up in a vegetarian household. My family's Indian. And so we ate, we didn't call it at the time, but we essentially ate a plant-based diet. We ate lots of like beans and rice and vegetables and lentils. And this is what my mom cooked all the time. But of course I was a child and I just wanted to be doing what everybody else was doing. And I remember dreaming, like, why can't we just have meatloaf and mashed potatoes like everybody else? Like that's, that's what it, for me, that's what it meant to feel American. And so um, 
I think even though I had this foundation of a vegetarian plant-based diet, I definitely kind of straight, no, I don't want to say straight away from it. I just, you know, wanted to experience the sort of more typical American experience. And so, especially in, um, I would say less so in high school, but especially in, in um, college, medical school, definitely in residency, I ate, I ate much more of a sort of a healthier standard American diet. And I think it was a very gradual way back to a plant-based diet. When I had children of my own, I, that's when I really became much more interested in nutrition because it wasn't sort of a theoretical thing. It was a very daily thing. I was making choices about how to feed my family. And after a lot of just sort of searching and struggling and, you know, dealing with people that were unhappy at the, at the dinner time table and all these things that typical parents go through, I made sort of a stepwise progress and what found my way back to a plant-based diet. I think because the evidence overwhelmingly suggests that a plant-centered, not an entirely plant-based or vegan diet, but a plant-centered diet is really the foundation for health. So in the beginning, that's what I was really focusing on more vegetables and whole grains and beans and things like that. And then um, as you know, in the book, we talk about in a very step, it was health. And then I thought, well, this is good for the environment. And then once I sort of started to consider the ethical implications of our food choices, um, I just kind of went all the way there. So it was kind of full circle for me. I sort of started out plant-based, wasn't plant-based, and now I'm kind of back to it. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. That's great. All right. So kind of moving into the book and this book is absolutely amazing. Um, definitely. I recommend this book um, to, to anyone, like I said, um, question I do have is specifically around, you know, so you've got, um, you know, you've got a child who's a very picky eater and um, you know, one day they love something and then the next day they're like, Oh, I can't eat it. I don't like it. I hate it. What, you know, how does a parent work around a picky eater without having to make multiple meals? Yeah, and I think I can speak to this both um, professionally and uh, through my own experience, because I definitely went through a phase of doing the multiple meals, because I thought that was the way to sort of create peace and harmony at the dinner time. Uh, and I think the answer is not simple, and it's going to be different for every family. Um, the most important thing is, is that as we're feeding our children and and we spent a whole chapter talking about this, it's really important to preserve the relationship between the child and the parent. Um, and the more tension and struggle you create around mealtimes, the more tension and struggle you're gonna continue to have. And so we talk about um, Ellen Satter's division of responsibility as sort of a foundation. I think it's a, it's a good model for parents to sort of look at, and then you can kind of tweak it in a way that's gonna work at your dinner table. And the longer your child has been sort of selective or you've, you know, done things that might have kind of sabotaged that feeding relationship in terms of either cooking the separate meals or pushing or bribing, the longer that that's been going on, the longer it's going to take to undo. So it does require some patience, but if you approach it with a sense of love and persistence and keeping your long goal in mind, you know, your goal is not to get them to eat two more bright bites of broccoli at dinner today. It's to create lifelong habits that are going to serve them. So Ellen Satter's division of responsibility, she essentially says that as parents, we provide sort of structure and support, but we also um, provide some autonomy and freedom so that it's, it is a relationship. And it's not like I'm telling you to clean your plate. So you must clean your plate. 
And so basically the shorthand version of it is, is that as parents, we decide what, when, and where of feeding. So we decide the menu, we decide when it's going to happen, and we decide where it's going to happen. And kids really need that structure. So it's not this constant grazing, eat whenever you want sort of a thing. And then as children, they actually get to decide how much and whether. So if you, your job is to provide a variety of healthy foods and their job is to eat it. And avoid sort of bribing or pushing or encouraging. And sometimes even positive praise can feel like pressure to a child, especially if you have a child who's really eager to please. And, you know, uh, the parent or caregiver says, oh, aren't you such a good boy for finishing all your peas? Mm. You don't really need to talk about it. You just offer the peas and he's going to want to eat the peas because they're delicious. And that sort of a model practice with consistency. I was skeptical because I, I made some big changes in my house. I was really skeptical. I said, this is not going to work. And I think in the beginning, there was a little bit of more tension because they had, my kids had certain expectations. Like you're going to make me the tofu nuggets because I don't like what's being served for dinner. And you just have to sort of stand your ground in a very loving way. I'm so sorry, honey, but tofu nuggets are not on the menu today. And for a, you know a period of time, you may have moaning and groaning and maybe even tantrums. But if you consistently do that in a calm way, they're going to get the message that tofu nuggets are not on the menu every night. Um, so it's, we have a whole chapter on feeding and picky eaters and things like that. And what I want to acknowledge is, is that it is a real struggle for parents who have picky eaters. And so just keep the long game in mind, have a lot of patience, approach with love, and you will be amazed at the changes that you start to see. Um, so what about a situation if you have a mixed household where one parent is following a whole food plant-based diet and the other one isn't? Any yeah. suggestions on how to model a plant-based diet with your child when one parent isn't plant-based? Yeah. And I think in, in some ways it's the same answer. A lot of patience, a lot of love, a lot of acceptance. <laughs> I think that um, if you've got two adults in the household and there is disagreement on you know, the food, I think it's important for the adults to have a conversation separate with the children. And you don't have to be 100% in agreement, but you can ask for respect. So you can sort of create the, the boundaries and the structure that's going to work for the two adults. And then you kind of invite the parents. And, you know, truthfully, our house was not 100% on board when we started. And mm -hmm. it, it took a little back and forth. And um, I always say you don't need agreement, but you need respect. And so if you have um, adults in the house that don't are, are not in full agreement, um, then you just continue the per I think it, the responsibility falls on the person that wants to be plant-based. So that was me and in our family. And so it's my responsibility to cook really delicious food. And if you do that enough, you don't even have to talk about the benefits. They're just convinced by the food. Mm -hmm. um, so I think just continue to cook the good food, try not to have arguments and tension about it and come to a place of um, respect, respect and ex acceptance, you know? So even if they don't fully agree with you, um, I think you can, if you're in a loving relationship, you can ask for, you know, for that respect. That's kind of how yeah. it worked. And then gradually you'll be again, amazed at what happened. So my husband and my son were not um, plant-based at all. They were not even vegetarian in the beginning. And now our family is, um, I would say was my half of us are fully plant-based and vegan. And then the other half is um, vegetarian with occasional, you know, if they're out, they'll have like a pizza or something like that. And um, yeah, so I think ask for respect, but, and try not to create conflict, especially in front of the children. 
Yeah. So if, if the child is asking, why is daddy eating that? Or why is mommy eating that? You know, how, how do you handle those kind of awkward questions that might come up at the dinner table? Well, I think you have to, um, and we talk about these difficult conversations in the book. And, and another resource that, that I really recommend is Melanie Joy. She talks a lot about communication, um, not just in terms of, you know, vegan and plant-based, but in general. Um, and I think it's, if your child is really inquisitive, you want to give the messages to them in an age-appropriate and developmentally appropriate ways. So you don't want to sort of alarm them or make them feel like this is so terrible for your health or you're eating an unhealthy diet. I would never have that kind of a conversation with a child. But you could say things like, you know, fruits and vegetables are delicious and they um, they help, you know, so many, they help us in so many health aspects and they help you to be able to run and play and do all of these things. And if you have a child that's really interested in the environmental or ethical aspects of our food choices, that's also a conversation you can have. And again, do it in a way that feels very age appropriate. The last thing you want to do, I mean, don't show them videos of factory farming and things like that, but you can certainly have conversations about you know, where your food comes from. I think it's totally mm -hmm. appropriate. What are the best ways to get children to, um, to get their vitamins or to take their vitamins? So I think I'm really glad you asked this question because I think sometimes in the plant-based community, there's this feeling like, well, if I eat a whole food plant-based diet, I really don't have to worry about any of my nutrients. And we know that that's not true. And right. it's, it's true for kids who are plant-based, vegetarian, vegan. And it's also true for kids who are omnivorous and eat animal foods. So the foundation is, you know, a, a, a diet that contains lots of these whole plant foods that has a lot of variety. So the more colors and the more different food groups and things, you're going to ensure that you're um, getting a balance of nutrients. And then, then in the book, we talk in detail about some of the specific nutrients that you may need to pay a little closer attention to. And whether that means using fortified foods like um, plant-based milks that are fortified with calcium and vitamin D or using a supplement. I think the idea that if you take a supplement that somehow that's a bad thing, um, that if that, that means that you're either not eating a well enough diet or that somehow a plant-based diet is deficient is just silly. When you mm -hmm. think about our food supply is heavily fortified, right? Like cow's milk is fortified with vitamins D and E, I mean, excuse me, DNA. Um, a lot of our grains and cereals are fortified with folic acid. So we have supplementation in our food mm -hmm. supply. Um, and I think with plant-based eaters and vegans, there are some specific nutrients that you have to pay attention to. Uh, the most common nutrient deficiency worldwide is iron deficiency. And mm -hmm. it happens in people who eat all kinds of diets. And I've treated iron deficiency anemia. I've treated vitamin D deficiency rickets. None of those kids were vegan or plant-based. So absolutely eat the foundation, I think is a varied diet that includes lots of colors, different food groups, mm -hmm. um, and then fortification and supplementation when indicated. And should a parent panic if their child doesn't eat much? Um, maybe. I'm not too worried about a specific meal or even a day, but I look at the overall pattern. So if you have a child that um, is just has a low appetite on one day and you know doesn't really seem to want to eat much at breakfast or lunch, I don't worry too much about that. But if it's an ongoing consistent thing where they're really, their intake is low, um, it might be cause for concern. And the best way to really assess whether there is reason for con concern is to, um, to see your healthcare provider, look at the child's growth chart, look at the child's other developmental milestones. So if you have like a day or even several days of sort of low intake, I don't worry too much about that, especially within the context of a child that's otherwise growing and developing well. And the other thing that can be a clue that there is a problem is, um, how stressful mealtimes are. So if every mm. mealtime is stressful and, you know, 
mom or dad are feeling stressed and the child is feeling stressed and anxious and their tantrums. And that's also a cause for concern. So mm-hmm. um, one or two days of low intake, I'm not too worried about, um, but look at the overall pattern. Are you saying that the stress is tied to not eating or? Um, well, um, or... I think we definitely look at, um, when we look at the success of feeding, we want kids to obviously meet their caloric and nutrient requirements, but we mm-hmm. also want them to have sort of a healthy relationship with feeding. So let's say a child is actually growing quite well. They're at the 50th percentile and they've been doing fine, but mm-hmm. every meal time is a struggle in terms of whether they're picky or the feeding dynamic, That's that feeding relationship is not working. Um, mm-hmm. And so I think it's worth having a conversation. There, not, there might not be um, sort of a, a growth problem, but the feeding dynamic is off. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So overall, what's the best approach to transitioning a child to a plant-based diet? Um, I think for, it's going to look a little different for every family. You know, some families are very enthusiastic and they just want to move forward. Like they want to, they want to start yesterday. Uh, and then some families are, they have a lot of like reservations and they're not quite sure. So I think first of all, just sort of getting in touch with what your motivation and your reasons are, and then thinking about identifying what you think the easy things will be and what the hard things will be. And so I always say, start with the easy things. So if you, I think the easiest way is if you're a family that already eats some plant-based meals, like you eat some vegetarian meals a couple times a week, do that three or four times a week, just bump that up. Um, swapping out simple things in our house, like plant-based milks were like a no brainer. Um, in the beginning, you know, there was some resistance because the taste is different, but there's so many delicious varieties of plant-based milks that that was a very easy thing. Um, and so once you've sort of done, you know, more plant-based meals at home, swapping out plant-based things for animal foods when you can, um, another approach that some parents and families find useful is to focus on being sort of plant-based at home and then not worrying too much about when you're out of the home, either at a friend's, when, when we go back to going to friends' homes at a friend's <laughs> home or, you know, out to eat or things like that. Um, because a lot of people say, well, I can't do it because, you know, mm-hmm. I, I go out to dinner with my family or I have, you know, so don't worry about the exceptions and worry mostly about what you're doing at home. And then you'll be amazed. You sort of start making these small changes and they don't seem nearly as difficult as you thought they were going to be. So let's switch gears to talk um, more about the ethical part of the book. Um, So I was, honestly, I was blown away. There's this one, I'm just going to read an excerpt from the book because it just, it, it gave me goosebumps, but I was also kind of like, I was having this hallelujah moment. So you, you wrote, while some may argue that such ethical concerns have no place in the conversation about dietary recommendations, we assert that excluding them from our view is absurdly myopic. And you go on to say that it's an act of willful neglect in terms of the, the compassion and the ethical part. Can you elaborate on why you decided to incorporate this part, which I'm so glad you did, but I'm just curious, like what, what kind of, what was the conversation about when you and Brenda were deciding on how to construct the chapters and putting this in here? <laughs> I think it would have been really easy to not include that chapter. Um, it would have been, we could have just stopped at, because so the first section of the book is uh, all about the why, and we divide it into three sections. It's health, home, meaning our planet, and heart, meaning compassion. And I think we could have included just the first chapter and we would have been fine. But that's not who we are. And that's not what we wanted this book to be about. And that's why 
those two chapters were very important to us. Um, I also think it is a very tender topic and we wanted to handle it with care. Um, when I was making the, the transition myself, um, you know, I, I knew better in a way. I grew up in a household that said, we don't eat animals. And yet I still found a way to do it. And so mm -hmm. I have a lot of empathy for people that find that conversation to be difficult because it was difficult for me. But I think that if there is a way of eating that we know can support our health, support the health of our planet, how can you justify the slaughter of that many billions of animals every year? It just doesn't make sense. Right. And so it was really important for us. And, you know, Brenda is, um, she is a model of that compassion because she doesn't shy away from the topic. I think that a lot of times as healthcare providers um, or people trained in the medical field, you know, you're taught to not really talk about those kinds of things because they don't really have a place in the conversation about health. And I think, you know, we're all human beings. We are um, physicians and dietitians, but we're also people and parents. And it, it's sort of a value-based conversation, not in terms of judgment, like you are wrong for what you do, but at least be willing to take a look at it. And if it's a conversation that we're not even willing to take a look at it, that in itself is telling. Like it's so yeah. horrible that we don't even want to talk about it. So it's intentionally the shortest of the three chapters because we know it's a tender topic. And our goal was never to make anyone feel judged or feel badly, but just to sort of open the conversation and um, invite them to at least be curious about it. Yeah, well, I, I commend you for the courage to incorporate that into your book because um, I do think that I agree that this is a topic that you know, people don't want to talk about, they tend to shy away, they want to ignore it. And then when it is brought up, um, sometimes, you know, there's a, a tendency to shut down. But I think the way you crafted it, the way it's worded, um, it was, it was very thought provoking, um, more so than I felt, you know, placing blame or pointing fingers. So um, I just thought it was beautifully written. And, um, oh, well, so. I, you know, that means a lot because that chapter was actually really, really important to me. And um, it's interesting. I don't think I've ever shared this with everyone, anyone, but when I first drafted the, when Brenda and I met and she said that we could do the book, that she would love to do the book together. I remember flying home that day and started drafting the notes for the book. And initially the very first chapter of the book was going to be that chapter in compassion. Mm. And it was my husband that said, I, I don't think this is the place for it. He said, you want to sort of lead them up to this conversation and having it first in the book is like hitting them over the head with it. And I think it was the best advice because it also, I think it put, it put the um, chapter in its proper context because uh, we really wanted it to be an invitation. It is by no means, um, you know, a judgment or a demand. It's just an invitation. And so, yeah, it was really important to us and important to me. Well, Dr. Shaw, thank you so much for your time. Is there anything else you'd like to say before we uh, close out here? Yeah, I think one final, well, first of all, thank you for having me. It's been such a pleasure chatting with you. I think the one thing I would want to leave people with is um, you don't have to be perfect in any of the things that you do. Like, do not let that stop you from just starting. And even if it's just maybe, you know, adding a salad to your meals or don't worry about being perfect. And if the words like vegan or plant-based, if those words sort of get in your way, don't, you don't have to use them. Our main objective is um, that we want you to feed your families for health 
in a sustainable way, um, but also with a lot of joy and love and delicious food. So don't, don't worry too much about being perfect. Thank you for joining us on the Healthy For My Purpose podcast. We hope you enjoyed the community and are walking away empowered and encouraged to live your healthiest life for your God-ordained purpose. You can connect with us on Facebook and Instagram to enjoy fellowship with like-minded women. Please don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review this on iTunes. Until we meet again, keep honoring your body for your purpose.